we are going to pray and we are going to get into some deep waters today, okay? We're going to be talking about suffering. And so um, hopefully you'll track along with me. But I'm going to pray for you. I probably um, need more prayer than you do, but I'm going to pray for us and uh, ask Jesus to really help us. Because some of you, this is not a philosophical um, issue. This is not something that you just think about in abstract ways. Some of you are genuinely going through suffering. And uh, it could be um, in your church experience. It could be in your family experience, your work experience. It could be in any area of your life. And um, I want to be able to speak into that as sensitively and as poignantly as I can. And we'll get right into God's Word after we finish praying. So would you pray with me? Let's pray. God, you are so far and above everything there is. Lord, you are a glorious and weighty, magnificent and powerful God. You deserve our praise and our worship, our adoration and our trust. There is no one like you. Lord, I pray that that would dive deep in our hearts. That we would recognize that there is no one and no thing that could ever take the place of our great God. Lord, I pray that we would lift up Your name, that You would be celebrated, that the name of Jesus would be lifted up and celebrated and glorified, that we the name of Jesus would be famed, and that, Lord, we would love You more. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit really illuminate your word during this time. I pray that you would give me utterances. Lord, if if, uh, there are distractions, Lord, I pray that you would give me focus and that you would really speak to our hearts. I know, oh God, that people are just not listening to this in this place, but they're on their iPods and uh, on their computers. And Lord, they sit alone and, and they're hurting. Lord, I pray that you would touch them as they listen. That you would move in the hearts and the lives of those that are here as they struggle with this issue of suffering. And Father, I pray that we would be open to your Spirit and be open to do and finish the sermon by doing. So Lord, uh, touch our minds, open our hearts, help us to receive that which you want to share with us. For we do pray... In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay. Um, We're in a new series, and it's called, um, we're actually sort of in the middle of this series, and it's called The Jesus I Never Knew. The Jesus I Never Knew. And the whole basis of the series is that we would get to know Jesus like we never did before. And so if you've missed any one of those, you can go on um, iTunes and you can podcast. Uh, we, we give it away for free. We try to give um, as much as we can away for free. We give away books. We give away all this stuff. But we give away this podcast for free if you need it immediately because you don't have a computer or a podcast. We also, um, for a really uh, uh, small fee, we uh, sell the CDs in the back. I think it's $3. Um, it's just pretty much paying for the, the CD so we could re- replicate it. Well, 
you really want to get in on those messages because it really does set up, especially what we're going to speak about today. The first message really does set it up. And when we talked about, the first week we talked about, first of all, that Jesus is our Savior and our God. That He saves us from our sin and He's our God that we should worship. And that if we see Jesus in any other way, let's say for instance, we see Jesus as our homeboy or just our homeboy, we see Jesus in a way that is not complete. We see Jesus in a way that is not the way Jesus wants us to view him. And so, so the first day we said, okay, Jesus is our Savior and our God. The next week, we talked about Jesus being our shame We said, Jesus shame remover, right? That was week two. Jesus shame remover. And we talked about how Jesus was our Azazel. And that's the scapegoat that we see in the Old Testament, right? Um, it, it, it was that Jesus doesn't only forgive us of our sins, but He takes away our shame. And isn't that good news? I mean, haven't you just done things that just hurt your heart and you wish you could go back and change, but you can't? Haven't you some issues in your life where, you know, the shame, every time the thought comes into your mind, the shame starts to overcome. You gave your purity to that guy and now you feel ashamed. You, you, uh, um, you were afraid in that moment and you didn't act courageously and now you're ashamed. You gave your life to a, to a, 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 a drug or a drink and you did things that were horrible. And we said this, that when you surrender your life to Christ, and it's really important that we remember that part, when you surrender your life to Christ, Jesus not only forgives your sin, but He takes away your shame. And we saw that in Leviticus 16 and how Jesus, uh, uh, and how this elaborate ceremony in Leviticus 16, how they had two goats, one to pay for the sins and want to take away the shame. That was two weeks ago. This week, last week, we talked about Jesus being our warrior and how Jesus doesn't just fight for us, He fights as us. He doesn't just fight uh, in our place, He fights and in our stead. In other words, He, whatever He wins, we get. If he's, if he's fearful, we're fearful. If he's courageous, we're courageous. If he wins, we win. Jesus is our warrior. He's our warrior king. And this week, we're going to talk about how Je Jesus is our exemplar. He's our example. Exemplar means example. But he's our example now, Jesus is our example in many different ways, but he, this week we're going to focus on Jesus being our example in suffering. Now, before I talk about Jesus being our example in suffering, I want you to really focus and pay attention because some of you or some of us just think that Jesus is our example. That's it. In other words, um, there's a famous quote by Gandhi, and I'm not going to... Uh, I'll paraphrase his quote, and it's this. It's that Jesus was a beautiful person who died a terrible death, very courageous and beautiful, but if there's anything like anything, anything mystical in the death that Jesus suffered, if there's anything otherworldly like dying for our sins, that I could not accept. 
said um, Gandhi. And so for him, Jesus was just a wonderful example. Just an example. An example to show us, uh, to show us uh, how to live, but nothing more than that. I'm here to tell you, listen, Jesus is so much more. And you're not going to get today's message unless you understand and receive the first message that we talked about this series, which is Jesus is our Savior and He's our God. He's our Savior and He's our God. Now, Jesus suffers for us. Here's the thing. We all have suffering. Isn't it true? Like, isn't it true that you have members in your family that are suffering and you suffer with them? Right? I mean, don't, isn't when the people that you love suffer, it's, it's just terrible. And isn't the most terrible thing when you suffer and you just... The most terrible thing about when we suffer is not knowing why we're suffering. Now, today we're not going to talk... Here's a couple of things we're not going to talk about. We're not going to talk about the kind of suffering that you go through when you hurt you. Right? When, when you know, everybody in your family tells you don't get with that guy, you get with that guy, you finally marry him and... <laughs> And it's a nightmare, right? Everybody told you don't get with him. You know, oh, by the way, he's a player. Please don't marry him. He'll play you out. No, when we get married, he'll stay faithful. And then, of course, he's a player, right? And so what happens? You know, you suffer as a direct result. And, and really, that's your own doing. You know, when, when you know, everybody says, hey, don't hang out with those people. If you hang out with those people, they're going to... Um, really bring about a great deal of suffering and pain in your life, right? And so you hang out with those people and they teach you habits that you didn't want, that you just really didn't need to know. Isn't it true? Not one of you had your first drink or drug by yourself. Who here had like that, like all by themselves with nobody around and no influences? Who here said, you know what? I think this alcoholic beverage, or I think this marijuana joint, or I think that this drug, this is a good idea with absolutely no influence. Who did that? Anybody? No, of course not. You, 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 when, you, when you do stuff like that, it's an influence of others, right? And so, when you suffer for that, then you, you bring it upon yourself. You know, the doctor tells you, stop smoking, stop smoking, stop smoking, stop smoking. Does that for like 25 years. Then all of a sudden he says, well, it's, you know, you have a cancer and it just won't go away and, and you're going to die in three weeks. And you go, God, why did you do this to me? God was saying, I was trying to tell you to stop smoking 25 years ago. You see, doesn't that make sense? Like, there's a kind of suffering that we bring on to ourselves. I remember having a conversation with the guy. And the conversation was this. He said, he said, what would he say? He said, um, why does God um, make my sister suffer? And, I, and as I talked to him more, I realized that his sister had gave herself away to man after man after man after man. She had something like six kids by five fathers. And it was just, she was, you know, as you can imagine, poor she suffered. She didn't know where the next paycheck was going to come. You know, she suffered, right? Okay. Well, that, it was tough. That conversation was tough because it was like, dude, God didn't do that. In fact, a couple of thousand years ago, God put in his word, don't do that, right? And so when we suffer, you know, the doctor says, or, or, or your family says, or you, because, you know, you really, 
you know, not for anything, you know, not to, not to kind of throw stones, and I'm sure that I need better health too, but you really do need to lose some weight. Like you just, you know, it's, I'm not saying it in a malicious way, but you, you really do need to lose some weight. I think that if you lose some weight, there's some health um, issues that you can avoid. And then, you know, 20 years later, you, you decide that you're just going to gain weight, not lose weight, and then the doctor says, well, you have you know, your knees are, you know, worn out and your hip needs to be replaced and your heart is in a bad way and your blood circulation's not doing so good. And all this stuff is going on, right? And you go, God, why'd you do this to me? And it's, God, it's gone. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. I brought the family members. I brought the doctors. I brought the people to tell you that you were going in the wrong direction. Today, we're going to talk about suffering the kind of suffering that Christians go through. Now, if you're not a Christian, I'm very glad that you're here, and you may not want to become a Christian right after this message. And I'm really grateful that you're here. But I want you to stick along with me, because it's, it's, it's a really important message that you need to have, that I need to live, and that you need to live. And it's this. It's that Jesus... Jesus suffered on the cross and He suffers in your suffering. He suffered, past tense, on the cross and He suffers in your suffering. Some of you, and, and you know, we all suffer in different ways. Some of you really stood up for Jesus at your workplace and you stood up for Jesus in your workplace and it just all went bad. You know, you got demoted or you didn't get the promotion you were supposed to get or they just fired you all together, right? And some of you, you know, uh, I know a person who when he came to Christ, it was at that moment that his wife said, I can't be with you anymore. She left them. She left them with their brand new daughter. Just suffered like you can't imagine. Like that's a deep suffering. And he was either... Turn your back on Jesus, or it was either, or faithfully follow him. But if you faithfully follow him, there's going to be some suffering. He chose to follow Jesus, still is serving Jesus today, but suffered unbelievably for years. Others who say, you know what, I'm going to, you know, some are going to, you know, some of you young people, you're going to college, and you're, and you're going to be experiencing and being, uh, exposed to things that are just horrible. And you're going to say to yourself, you know what, I'm not going to go to that party. I'm not going to go to, the, I'm not going to hang out with that group of people. And what's, you know what, you're going to suffer as a direct result of that. You're going to suffer loneliness. You're going to suffer like you're, you know, you feel despair. You might suffer depression. But there is a suffering that if you stand for Jesus, you will suffer. Listen to me. Please, 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 please listen to me. Being a Christian does not exempt you from suffering. It guarantees that you suffer. I'm going to say that one more time because we have so many false teachers out there that say foolish and asinine things like, if you come to Christ, then there will be 
nothing but smooth sailing. Your marriage will be perfect. Your kids will always visit on weekends. There will always be a sense of joy and happiness. And if you're sick or depressed or hurting or financially broke, then you messed up. And, and you know what? It's just, it's, listen, listen to what I'm about to say. I'm going to say it again. Being a Christian does not exempt you from suffering. It guarantees that you'll suffer. If you want to be exempt from suffering, you know, we got the Hare Krishnas down the block, we got the Muslim mosque over there. You can go to any false god that you want to in an effort to not suffer. But I'm telling you right off the bat that if you surrender to Jesus, you will most assuredly suffer. Absolutely. Because there's a purpose that Jesus has for your suffering. Not very popular, but true. I want everybody to turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. Now, I'm going to do something that I hardly ever do. Usually what we do is we open one Bible text here and we dig deep on that one Bible text. We just try to, just really try to dig deep on the one Bible text and we don't go further than that. And some of you I know are annoyed by that because you need people to go around in 25 Bible verses before you can feel like you've had a good Bible lesson. But we just like to just, let's learn about one text. Today we're going to do it a little bit differently and we're going to study one Bible text but we're going to look at a biblical illustration of that Bible text that I think that Peter's pointing to. So I want you to go to 1 Peter chapter 4 I'm going to read verses 12 through 13. I'm going to be reading from the Net Bible. By the way, if you don't have a Bible or you can't afford a Bible, there's such a thing on the, in the, um, what is it called, on the internet? That's called the Net Bible, N-E-T, Bible, right? If you go www.netbible.org, um, you can get a free Bible. If you have enough pages, you can print it out in the library. You have a whole Bible for yourself. It's pretty cool. And it's an excellent translation. Um, Dear friends, okay, look up at me. Who's speaking here? Peter. Peter, in a little short while from this point, will die. He won't just die because like he had a heart attack. Peter is going to be crucified upside down at his own request. Do you understand that? Peter is going to suffer like you and me will never know suffering. Like me and you, we think that we're suffering when the cable guy says he'll be there at 3 and he doesn't show up till like 5, right? We go, why? Right? Or we think that we suffer if like, you know, you know, um, our, our, we run to our plane and then the plane is, is like, you know, we, we try to get cheaper tickets, right? And so we say, well, okay, we'll fly standby. And we go to our plane and it says, no, it's all filled up. And we go, why, Jesus, Why? That's the kind of suffering you and I mostly go through. I know, and I'm not trying to mention some of you are going through some real serious suffering. But I'm not, you know, whatever you're going through, I'm, I'm going to dare say Peter has gone through a little bit more. He went through persecution, got beaten, and he was going to be crucified. And then he decided to tell his captors that because his master died of crucifixion, he doesn't deserve such an honorable death that his master gave. In other words, the most disgusting way to die was crucifixion. But because Jesus was on a cross, he gave it a dignity that Peter felt he didn't have the ability to share in. Isn't that powerful? It's like the electric chair. And, and Jesus gives it. It's unbelievable. It's savage, but it was unbelievable. So they crucified him upside down. 
So this guy knows suffering. And he's going to know more suffering. And so now he's talking to people. He's talking to a church. He's talking to this group of churches. A, a series of churches. And he's saying this to you. And he's saying this to me. To these groups of churches. He says this. Dear friends, amigos. Do not be astonished that a trial by fire is occurring among you. Look up at me. Peter is saying what I just told you a couple of seconds ago. Why are you surprised? Why are you shocked that you're suffering? Don't you know that suffering must happen? Don't you know that suffering has to come? Don't you know that if you love Jesus, there is a trial. A trial. Not from Satan. Listen to me. Not from your enemies. A trial. Custom tailored. A suffering. Custom tailored. For you. Now this is tough. Okay, can, I, can we just kind of back up for a second? Because that goes against all of American Christianity, does it not? Like, isn't it true that every, every television evangelist you see, every, it's just like, no, no, no. Jesus takes away your suffering. If you want to be healthy and wealthy and wise, if you want to be blessed, and listen, 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 here's the thing. Jesus wants to bless you, right? That's absolutely true. But here's the, here's the fact. Sometimes His blessings come in really painful packages. Sometimes some of the greatest blessings that Jesus gives to you and to me come in really, not a little bit, not poquito, really painful packages. And Peter says, don't be surprised. Don't be amazed. Don't be shocked. Don't be, listen, this is not, this is not, this shouldn't be new for you. Don't be surprised. Do not be astonished that a trial by fire is occurring among you. Now I'm going to go back to this trial by fire because I'm going to show you that Peter is digging back to a point in their history and in ours that's so powerful. And we're going to spend most of the sermon on that. But he's, he's reaching back to an illustration that they'll all, all these Jewish people who knew the Old Testament will pick up on right away. Do not be astonished that a trial... In fact, I want us to read these two verses together. Because I think it will be good for us. Alright, now if you're going to read, since we're going to read it together, I want you to just look up at the screen so we'll all be on the same version. And I want us on the count of three to read this together. Okay? One, two, three. Verse 12. Dear friends, do not be astonished that a trial by fire is occurring among you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice, verse 13, but rejoice in the degree that you have shared in the sufferings of Christ, so that when His glory is revealed, you may also rejoice and be glad. 
Don't be surprised at this incredible suffering that you're going through. At this body of yours breaking down. At this homeless situation. At watching your beloved go the wrong way. At watching your children go astray. At watching, watching all the things that you worked for and built for come crumbling down around you. Don't be shocked. Don't be surprised. Don't be amazed. He says, listen to this. As though something strange were happening to you. Let me, let me tell you. There's an argument against the Bible's Christianity. And here's the argument. The argument is that God can't be all-powerful and loving. Right? Because if God was all-powerful and loving then suffering would not exist as we know it today. Okay, let me explain the argument, right? It's a pretty good argument, actually. And the, 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 the argument is this. If God was all-powerful and loving, then He would not allow us to... He would love us and not allow us to suffer. So, God could be all-loving but impotent, not all-powerful, because He can't stop the suffering. Or... Maybe God is all-powerful, but not loving. So He lets us go. He can stop it, but He won't. So one says, one argument says that He can't stop it. He's not all-powerful. And one says that He won't stop it. He's not all-loving. Now, the problem with that is this statement. And the statement is this is that I can't... The problem with that argument is that people base that argument about what I'm about to tell you right now, and it's this. I don't see any good coming out of this. Like when you and I suffer, the biggest problem is that you and I cannot see any good coming out of this. The problem is, is is that it's an arrogant statement. Listen, just because you and I can't see anything good coming out of this doesn't mean that there isn't something good coming out of this. For you and I to say, I can't see anything good coming out of this, therefore there can't be any good, is to say that we can see all the things that there are, past, present, and future. Listen, I grew up in a household that was incredibly painful experience to go through. Some of you have some similar experiences. I remember, listen to me, I remember my father left the house and my mother was ill and she got hospitalized and there was absolutely no food in the house. I mean, nothing. Like, you know how like you go, oh, we ain't got nothing to eat, but you have leftovers and you can always boil some rice. And I mean, literally, nothing to eat. Drink water. Like, water and tomato paste. What can we do with water and tomato paste? I don't know. Tomato soup. I grew up where anxieties were all over. We didn't know. I remember the first time my father introduced us to his girlfriend, and we put on our very best clothes. And that day he bought us new clothes because our very best clothes were awful. Just Listen, I grew up in a home where there wasn't the kind of stability that you want in your household and just, 
it wasn't stable. And then I rebelled and caused my own suffering and, you know, did all sorts of insanity. But here's the point. At that age, I could not see any good coming out of that suffering. I just couldn't. Listen. I went through a period of suffering with my wife. And I know I'm the only one because all of your marriages are perfect, but let me tell you about my marriage. Alright? I went through a period of suffering with my wife that the only way I know how to describe it, and this is about 10 year period. I've been with my wife for about 17, 18 years. Uh, she's listen, 18 years. January 17th, it was 18 years, right? And I had to make up for it, pull out the date, right? Um, January 17th, 18 years. Uh, okay, so I've been with my wife for 18 years, right? Now listen to this, listen to this. This is really important. 10 of those 18 years, the only way I know how to describe it is if you had, um, if you had uh, the tsunami that happened in New Orleans, the airplanes that crashed on the World Trade Center, 9-11, and the, uh, I'm sorry, the tsunami that happened in India, the, the dam break that happened in New Orleans, and the World Trade Center uh, collapsing, right? If you put all three of those events on one day, and then you had them every day, for 10 years, you have an idea of what my marriage was like for 10 years. I wanted to die. I would work 103 hours. 103. You know what I, that is? You don't bathe. You don't eat. You don't sleep. You fall asleep at least three times. I've fallen asleep on the Williamsburg Bridge. I actually understand why the barriers are like straight down and then they come across. Because if they were straight down, your car would slam into it and you would cause a bigger accident. Because they dip in a little bit, your tires get to rub up against them and it warns you that you're going too close. I found that out during a nap. Because I was exhausted because I didn't want to be home. And when I was home, I just wanted to sleep. Now, good news. My relationship with my, my wife's my best friend. I'd rather be talking to her personally than talking to all of you. I'd rather be with her than be with anyone else. I absolutely love my wife. But as I was going through the suffering with my wife, I did not understand. And if at that point I said, because I don't understand anything good coming out of this, made the leap that says, then there's nothing good that can come out of this, then I just went beyond God. Just because you can't see it. There's a great illustration, right? If you go, there's these um, little um, kind of fleas or flies in Africa. They call them noceums. The reason that they call them noceums is because they're so tiny that they can actually, they're so tiny they can actually, you know how like the, you have the mesh on your window? They can actually fit through the mesh on your window and then they, they sting you. That's how tiny they are. Now, if you went into a tent in Africa and you opened up the tent and, and so, well, someone said to you, hey, do me a favor, go look in the tent and see if there's any, uh, you know, German shepherds, right? You open up a tent, you go, oh, yeah, there's, there's one German shepherd there, right? Because they're a pretty big animal, right? And you can see them, right? Now, if you go, if someone asks you, go into the tent and see if there's any noceums. Well, there could be hundreds of noceums there. You go back and go, no, there's no noceums. Here's the point. Just because you can't see something good coming out 
of your suffering doesn't mean that there isn't something good coming out of your suffering. Now, if you're suffering right now, that's tough to swallow. I just want you to follow along with me because we're going a little bit further and a little bit deeper. So if you were uncomfortable before, you're going to get even more so now. Listen, verse 13 says, but rejoice in the degree that you shared in suffering of Christ. Here's the purpose for your suffering. You ready? So that when His glory is revealed, you may also rejoice and be glad. It makes Jesus more wonderful. Two things Peter says there. That there's a fellowship that you share. You, did you see what it said there? That word shared, and then it goes on to say, in the sufferings of Christ, mean it's a koinonia. It's a share. It's a fellowship. A fellowship with Jesus. Peter seems to be saying that in your time of suffering, Jesus builds your relationship with Him. Isn't that amazing? That when you suffer, you can build your relationship with Him. And then there are some people here who will say, well, you know what? God just doesn't exist. And the reason God doesn't exist is because of all this suffering that goes on. Listen to me. There is a bigger philosophical problem about pain and suffering if God doesn't exist, then there is if He does exist. Here's the point. If God does not exist, where would you ever get the idea of suffering in this world? Like, if, if God doesn't exist, where would it ever occur to you that um, little children shouldn't be killed by adults? Like, where, where would that ever come to you? It's just your opinion. Where would it ever come to you? Listen, if God doesn't exist and He didn't write it down in His Word, where would you ever get the idea that it's an injustice to or oppress a people? There's plenty of cultures out there who do not live according to the Bible and oppressing whole people groups. Where would you ever get... Listen, if God doesn't exist, then all this talk about suffering is mute and silly. Let me tell you why. If God doesn't exist, then you only have your opinion. You know, you say, oh, that's terrible, that's suffering, you're, you're oppressing, you're putting these people in slave groups, and you're oppressing them. No, it's just survival of the fittest. It's how you and me got, us, got here. Whoever, the strong survive, and the weak get conquered. That's just the way it happens. You see, you have a bigger problem. And the nightmare is this, that people, when they go through suffering, rather than running to God, the only one who can make sense of it all, they run from God. This is a mistake, to say the least. Peter says, there is something going on. There's a purpose happening. And here it is, you ready? Drawing closer to Jesus. Learning to love Jesus. Now here's the problem. You ready for the problem? If you don't want to draw closer to Jesus, or if you have a God that's greater than Jesus, then that doesn't matter. You understand? In other words, <clears throat> my wife leaves me for another man, and I'm suffering. And, I go, and, I, and someone comes up to me, or, or the Spirit of God says in my heart, Edwin, it's an opportunity to draw closer to Jesus. I go, I don't want to draw closer to Jesus. I want my wife. My kid 
dies. And Jesus whispers into my heart, Edwin, this is an opportunity for me to carry you and rely on me like you've never done before. I don't want you to carry me. I don't want you to rely on me. I want my kid alive. See, unless Jesus is glorious, unless He's magnificent, unless He's radiant, unless He's weighty, unless He's magnificent, wonderful, and holy, and majestic, and glorious, unless Jesus is, has captured your heart, then when you suffer, all it'll do is reveal who your real God is. It just happens all the time, right? Guy breaks up with you. Guy breaks up with you. You want to commit suicide. Guy comes back into your life. You're the happiest person in the world. Woman says, no, she won't marry you. You're the, ha- you're the saddest person in the universe. Then she comes back, says, I rethought it. Goes, well, listen, when you suffer, you'll either draw closer to your true God or you'll resent the true God for having killed your real God. Your personal functional savior whatever that is right if you're suffering because your body's not working right and it's breaking down and you're gaining weight and you're growing older and you're a woman and you go oh my gosh i don't want to go and experience this well then you say god why are you letting this happen and what are you doing and all this other stuff listen it's an opportunity to draw closer to jesus now we're going to go through and there's a great example that Peter pulls out but that you don't see because he just makes mention fiery trials and I think that Peter is pulling back on their history and he's calling on this one moment in the book of Daniel if you jump to Daniel chapter 3 he's calling on that one moment in time where something magnificent happens something glorious now if you've been coming around for a while bring your Bibles you should, you should have your Bibles. If you're new, listen, we love you. We have, you know, we have the words on the screen. But if you've been coming around from, for a while, bring your Bibles. If you don't have one, share it with someone next to you or look up at the screen. And we're going to jump down. to Now watch this. Here's what's happening. The person who's ruling the world at this point, the power broker, the superpower, his name is Nebuchadnezzar. Everybody say that with me. Nebuchadnezzar. Right. It's, you know, definitely a name you want to... You know, like a nickname. It's funny, right? Because in my culture, if you have like a, a name just as long as William, they go, oh, Tito. <laughs> right? You know, Petey. You know, stuff like that, right? And so, but you know, Nebuchadnezzar, right? How do you remember a name like that, right? There's, there's a name for you. So Nebuchadnezzar is the power broker of the day. He rules over a people called the Babylonians. He's extending his kingdom. Now, I want you to see something. Nebuchadnezzar thinks, and this is, this is a belief that is had throughout the entire um, uh, Old Testament era, is that if your people conquer my people, it's because your God was stronger than my God. Does that make sense? Like, you know, it's almost like my dad could beat up your dad, right? And so his God is called Marduk, Marduk. Marduk is supposed to be the god of creation. Babylonians take over all other places. And God is using Nebuchadnezzar to, to chastise the, the Jewish people. 
The Jewish people see, uh, the, the Babylonians though, see it as their God is greater than the Jewish God. So, what he does is he creates, uh, Nebuchadnezzar does, he creates a 90 foot statue. A 90, it was like one of the, it's like a wonder of the world. How do they do this, right? And so this 90 foot statue that goes up, I, this is about 90 feet from the floor to the ceiling. That's about 90 feet, right? More or less. Okay. The circumference of these chairs is about nine feet around. This is a big statue. He gets this statue. Here's the purpose. The purpose is that people will worship him and his gods. So he, he puts out an edict, a law, and he says, listen, if anybody hears the, 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 the big band, right? You know, leers, harps, and all, you know, they, they, but it's the big band. If anybody hears the big band play, and he gets all the, the leaders that he's conquered from all the provinces, and he says, what they're to do is they're to bow down in the direction of the statue to pay homage. Well, that's a problem for our Jewish friends, our, our, our biblical firefighters over here. We got Shadrach, we got Meshach, and we got Abednego. They were conquered by the Babylonians, by Nebuchadnezzar, but they didn't lose their trust in God. Even in their exile, they walked with God. And so in verse 8, we realize, um, some of the leaders realize that they're not leading the people to bow down to the statue. Look, look at what happens. This is very, very um, dramatic. Therefore, at, the time, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, the big band, um, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image, that big image that he set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. Now, what are they doing? They're just, they're just reminding the king of what he said he was going to do. Listen to this. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into... The, we've read that. Verse 12. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed... Ah, by the way, they're just not anybody. They're people you've appointed. They're your leaders. You've appointed uh, over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image you have set up. Now, Nebuchadnezzar gets in just livid. He is really upset. Now, I think that when Nebuchadnezzar speaks to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego... He's not like freaking out, like, you know, spitting and foaming at the mouth and things like that. I think that he's angry, but then the time that it takes to get these guys over to him, it's not like you could take a train and go, all right, go to take the G train to Game Point and, and come back with these guys in 10 minutes. It took some time for them to get back to him. 
And so by the time, he's like, you know, there's, there's a sort of a softness in his voice. The reason I believe that is in verse 19, it says that his face changed against them and a real rage overcame him. And so if his face changed, it's probably because it was softer before. So um, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar answered, verse 14. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship image that I have made well and good. Stop. He gives them an out. He gives them an opportunity to worship him. Okay. Um, and so that is further proof that he's not yelling and screaming and losing his cool and all that other stuff. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning fiery furnace. Fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? First thing I want you to notice about that paragraph is that he asks two questions. Is it true that you don't bow down to me and worship my gods? Those are the two questions that he asks. And then at the end of the paragraph, he pokes at their God. You see the poke? Hey, if I throw you in there, who's more powerful than me? Who's, who's more powerful than my gods? Oh, by the way, my God beat up your God. What God can get you out of this? Ever experienced that? Some, you know, you're going through some suffering, your friend comes up to you and says, where's your God now? Right? Your God isn't powerful. Right? And you just like sit there and go, no, I can trust in my God. Shadrach, Meshach, verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, listen to me, this is some of the most awesome words put on print. You got to understand, the most powerful man in the world is speaking to them. Some of you shake when your boss asks you a question. Some of you lie when your boss says, was it a 45-minute break or was it a 30-minute break? 30-minute break. Like, you know what I mean? This is the most powerful guy in the world. He just threatened a horrendous death. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. Look up at me. Listen. If this suffering that you're putting before us, because we're living for Jesus, because we, li we love Jesus, because we honor Jesus, because Jesus is God, and He's the one to worship, and He's the one that we celebrate. Listen. If you will do what you just said, we're going to honor Jesus. And He has the power over your Marduk and over your power to deliver us from this suffering. I want you to hear that, beloved. Listen to me. Your God has the power. He's all-powerful. Remember what we were said before? The two objections that He's either all-powerful or all-loving, but He can't be both. Listen to me. Your God is all-powerful. And if He so desires, He can rid them from it. But they knew about God in a deeper way. And here it is. Um, and He will deliver us out of your hand, O King. Verse 18. And these are the most powerful words that I, I just, I love. 
in this uh, chapter. But if not. Everybody say that with me. But if not. Okay, true story. So um, England is in the war. They're getting, you know, they're getting beat up left and right. Right? And they send a special um, set of troops to go and attack this particular place that's very, very vital. If they lose this, almost assuredly all is lost. And so, I love this. So these troops go and they send a message by Morse code. And it was three words. You know, they, they, they were sent a message that said, you know, we're praying for you. We're, 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 you know, the, the, the people who were in England said, we're praying for you. We're, we're, we're hoping that it goes well with you. We're, we're praying for your safety. And they send a message that's just three words. But if not. Ooh, something about that gets my heart. And says, you know what? We are pursuing a very dangerous line of work. We are going to fight against a great and powerful foe. And God may spare our lives. But if not, listen to me. God can deliver you from your bed of affliction. Here's what I need you to say in your heart. But if not. God can deliver you from your depression, but here's what I need you to know. But if not. God can help your marriage to become all that it can be, but listen to me. But if not. God can help you find the employment that you need so that you might be able to supply and provide for your family, but listen. But if not. God can mend your broken heart. But listen to me. But if not. I wonder if you have room in your faith in Jesus for those three small words. But if not. Is there room enough in your life, in your relationship with God for those three words? But if not. You know, this is such a tough message because when you're going through suffering, all you see is the suffering. You don't see the koinonia. You don't see the fellowship with Jesus. You don't see how He's growing you. And there's a sweetness and a beauty after the 15th house that my family had bid on, we were homeless for almost two years. We were rejected 14 times. You know anybody else who's been rejected for 14 houses? I'm talking about houses that didn't have stairs. Like you had to put them in. Like, you know what I mean? One house is on the market for like two years. Abandoned. People are losing money on it. Rejected. Listen, not once, not five, not ten. 14 times I put in the bid for the 15th one and you know what happened? But if not. We didn't get it. I remember. I remember I left the library and the Lord knew it was going to be a great blow to me. 
Like he knew I was going to take this worse than most. And so as I left the library, the Lord spoke a whisper to my heart, just like a little prophetic whisper, and he said, no, it's not going to happen, Edwin. And I was sad. I had to tell my wife the next day because I knew, like, what do you do? I couldn't tell her that day. I had to kind of work out some of these faith issues in my own heart. It meant that we don't know how long we're going to be homeless for. It meant that we don't know how long uh, we're going to continue waking up at 3 in the morning making sure that the kids are okay because we, there's other guys that are living here and, you know, what if they come upstairs and what if they go into the girls' thing and we don't know them that well and what if and what if and what if. But if not, listen, beloved, if you're in that place, I want you to be able to say like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they say, but if not. Read the rest of the verse with me. Let's start from but if not. But if not. Be it known to you. Read with me. O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. The two questions that they're asked is it true that you don't serve my gods? Is it true that you don't worship my image? Just so you know, even if God doesn't save us, it's wor- serving, worshiping, glorifying, lifting up His name, giving Him fame, drawing closer to Him, even if, you do- even if He doesn't save us. He's worthy to be worshipped. And He's worthy to be praised. Even if that suffering doesn't get its redemption till heaven. Even if the day that you are healed is the day that you die. Even, even with a broken heart. The singers are going to come up and they're going to sing a song. And then I'm going to come back and I want to talk to you about this fellowship with Jesus. And we're going to talk about how Jesus was on the cross, but listen to me, He's also in the furnace. We're going to see that in this story. So I just need you, whatever suffering you're going through, if you're not going through suffering, I need you to think about some suffering that you've gone through or just open your heart to receive this message so that when you do go through suffering, you're ready to receive it. I want you to listen to this song and then I'm going to come back up.
for me There's no greater love than this You have overcome the grave Your glory fills the highest place What can separate me cross, I couldn't believe what I'm about to tell you. If there was no cross, I could not imagine worshiping a God. If there was no cross, I'd have no answer for suffering. But because there's the cross, we find out that Jesus suffered for us. And He suffers with us. You know what happens? Nebuchadnezzar gets really angry and he throws him into the fire. Let me tell you what happens. I just love this. Because this is... Has your heart ever broken? Have you ever been in such a way where there's just no words? You've got to speak a different language if you're going to communicate how hurt you are. They are thrown into a huge furnace that is so hot that 
because the captives are ordered, the, the captains or the mighty men are ordered to throw them in the middle. Of, it's not like, you know, you can throw them in the edge of the furnace, like, you know, stay, stay over here and then just kind of push them because then they can easily run out. They have to be consumed and see nothing but fire. So no matter where they run, they're going to be consumed by fire. So the captains had to get to the, uh, the mighty men had to get to the mouth of the, the furnace thing. They died. You can read it later on. They died. That's how over hot, heated Nebuchadnezzar had that furnace. It was enough to burn metal. A melt metal. Verse 24. Verse 24. Then Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, he asks a very stupid question. Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, I want you to read this next line with me. I want you to read this next, this next five, these next six words with me to the comma. Would you do that with me? One, two, three. But I see four men unbound. I just want you to look at that verse until your hairs start standing up. I see four men. You think you're suffering alone? I see two people. You think it's just you and your wife that's suffering? I see three people. Do you? Do you think that your kids, you're suffering with your kid? There's a third. Do you think your family of four is going through great difficulty and trial and pain? There's a fifth. Listen, at the dinner table, pull out a chair for one more. I see four. And they're unbound. Listen to me. They're unbound. And I just love this. Read the next part of this verse with me. One, two, three. Walking in the midst of the fire. Stop. Next, next part. Let's read it together. And they are not hurt. And the next. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. Not gods. He got it a little wrong. He was, he was in this process. Son of God. It was Jesus. Now, he didn't know that it was Jesus. The only way he had it to express it was that it was the Son of the gods. It was this divine being. It was Jesus. Listen to me. Did Jesus snap them out of the fire? What did he do? Walked around with them in the fire. And you go, but I can't believe that. I think I'm suffering by myself. And I can only point you to one place. The cross. The cross serves as a reminder forever that there is one that walks with you in the furnace. Listen, Jesus suffered on the cross for you and He suffers 
in the furnace with you. Next time anybody ever asks you when their friends or their loved ones is on a bed of affliction and they got cancer or they got the virus and they go, where is Jesus? You go right on the bed with them. When, when, they're, when someone is going through more pain than they know what to do, he goes, where is Jesus? Closer than their shirt. Listen, Jesus doesn't just suffer for us on the cross. He suffers with us in the furnace. And so when, what does that mean for you? And what does that mean for me? Listen, so when you suffer and the devil tells you it's because God has abandoned you and it's because God doesn't love you, the cross lets us know two things. I don't know why you're suffering. But here's, here's what the cross tells us why you're not suffering. Here it is. It's not because God doesn't love you. Because the cross says different. And it's not because God is not with you. The cross says, He's with you. God is with you. And He's, he's all powerful. So He can walk in the furnace with you. I wonder if they said anything at all. I wonder if they had any conversation. Years ago, I have a daughter, Lydia. She's just as precious as you can imagine. And um, she was, uh, I was taking a couple out from this church. We were going to a dinner. Listen to me. We were going to a dinner, and she was playing in the park, and she was being looked after. She was running around, and she fell right in the center of her knee onto a very sharp piece of broken glass. It took something like over 12 stitches to get, it was just as open, like they, they, I think they did like four or six stitches on the inside because the, the meat was just, it was just one of those moments. So somebody ran to the restaurant that I was in and uh, you know, I left my wife and my credit card and with the people that were there and I ran here of course. Then something happened. Now, I, I want to tell you, before this time, and this is, this is a true story, I never bonded with Lydia up to this point. I just never had. Like, she would see me and, you know, she could, you know, you know, take me or leave me. You know what I mean? I don't know. Right? You have some kids, right? And it just, you know, they're, you know, they're really close to the mother or mother, they're really close to the father or something like that, right? Well, so I carried her in my arms. I want you to see this as a picture of Father's love for you. So I carried her in my arms. And she was a jab of jaws, but she would not talk this moment. Isn't it true? When you're in the fiery furnace, you just don't have words. And so I carried her, and I walked her all the way to the Brooklyn Hospital, which is about a half a mile from here, maybe three quarters of a mile, I don't know. And so I walked her over to there, and I walked into the emergency room, and I showed her the doctors. And they put, took her right in, and I was grateful for that. And they, they, they made the examination. They were asking a question. She just wasn't answering. And then there was a point where the, the woman said what I knew was going to happen. Stitches. And I knew that that was going to hurt more than the fall. I knew that them trying to heal her was going to hurt more than her getting hurt in the first place. And the doctor said this, 
started to wrap sheets around her because she can't move. If she moves, something bad's going to happen to her. She, she could get crippled. They got a sharp needle we're talking about here. And they say, Daddy, tie this one. And I went under that table and I tied it as tight as I could. And I went to the next one and I tied it as tight as I could. And I went to the last one and I tied it as tight as I could. And they tried to put the little ointment on it to numb it and it was as if there was nothing there. And she started, the lady, proceeded to sew the inside of the meat first. And there are, there are cries and then there are wails. Have you ever wailed before? Your kid dies, you wail. You know, you're, you lose your job, you cry. Your kid dies, you wail. I heard her wail. I never heard any one of my kids cry like this. And I was beside myself. I didn't know what to do. And so I put myself, I put my body over her body, and I put my face over her face. And I just kept on, as she's screaming as loud as you can imagine, I said, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. And I thought to myself, this is it. If I thought we were distanced from each other before, we're really going to be distanced now. She's going to think that I'm some sort of tyrant and some evil guy. They sewed her up. I knew what I couldn't explain to her even if I tried. Honey, honey, this is going to hurt worse than the actual pain that you received in the park. But it's for your benefit because about, uh, you know, six weeks from now, that'll be all completely healed. And you won't get a, a, an infection and they won't have to cut off your leg and all that other stuff. If I tried to explain that to that little girl, do you think there would have been any response from her other than, No! Don't do it! Let them cut my leg off! I'd rather go through the, Don't let them do it. Listen to me. Listen to me. You're going to hear something about the heart of God. Because God sees the full scope of it. He comes over. He's all powerful. And He can't stop it. But knows that if He did, you would go on to more danger than you could know. And so He comes over us. Our God ties the sheets. Our God starts the sowing process. Something miraculous happened after that. There was a bond between me and Lydia that hasn't been broken yet. She would then start to run to me rather than to her mother. She, I just, I didn't understand. And then God, oh, so that's what you mean by the fellowship of your sufferings. That's what Peter meant by sharing in your suffering. That there is a divine closeness, a divine bonding that you do in our life. Listen, if you're going through your dark night of the soul, 
There's two things I need you to know. One, that because Jesus died on the cross for you, this is not all there is. There is something. Not only because He died on the cross, but because He was buried and rose again and ascended into heaven and says, this fiery furnace won't be all there is. This fiery furnace is not where it ends. There is a moment where all these pains will be considered like pleasures in comparison to the glory that you experience in heaven. First, I need you, need you to know that Jesus died on the cross for you. Second thing I need you to know is that He suffers because of the cross. We know that He suffers with us. He doesn't just say, get over it. Or He doesn't just say, don't worry, I'll get you through it. Or He doesn't just say, don't worry, there's a better outcome. He, he's in the fire with you. I want you to know that the closest place that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the closest place they were to Jesus was in the furnace. It was in the furnace. Listen to me. Can your suffering, can your pain, can your... Can you run to Jesus and grow closer and have something even more beautiful with Jesus as a result of your suffering. Let's go back to 1 Peter 4 and read it and see it with this new lens. Dear friends, do not be astonished that a trial by fire is occurring among you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in the degree that you have shared koinonia, fellowship, in the sufferings of Christ, so that when His glory is revealed, you may also rejoice and be glad. Listen, if you're, going, if you're here and you're suffering in a couple of seconds, I'm going to pray for you. But whether this message is, I'm going to ask you to stand, really. If you're suffering, I'm going to ask you to stand in a few minutes, and I'm going to pray for you, especially if you're suffering. But listen to me. If you're not going through suffering, here's what I want you to do. I just want you to remember. I want you to remember that Jesus was on the cross and is in your fiery furnace. And that if He is then you can draw nearer to Him. And your fellowship, listen, your relationship, your fellowship, your love with Him can grow more so than anything else. My prayer for you is that you would know that no matter what marital problem, no, ma no matter what family problem, no matter what lack of pay or no employment or no matter what, Jesus is with you and will walk with you in your suffering. So, if you do, I want you to pull out your yellow cards. And if you're going to either, either if you're in now, or if you determine in your heart right now, when I go through a fiery trial, I'm going to ask Jesus to show me how I can draw nearer to Him. I'm going to ask Jesus to show me 
how I can fall madly in love with Him. Listen, if that's you, or if you're going through a fiery trial now, and you're going to do that now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to write down on that yellow card, I want you to write down, walk in the fire. Just write that down. I want you to write, walk in the fire. Now, on that yellow card, I want you to, especially if you're new, I want you to fill out as much as you feel comfortable with. Give us your name, your email, your address, and all that other stuff. If you're just here for, this is, this is how we pray for you. When you, if you have a prayer request, and you can write it down in these yellow cards. If you put your name, and if you've already filled it out completely, go ahead and just feel free to, it's already in our database. You can just put your name, and you can, um, and you can just, uh, put your name and put your prayer request. But if you're going to do what we talked about, realize that Jesus is with us, even in our suffering. That He not only uh, doesn't promise that we won't have suffering, but He guarantees it. And there's another thing that He guarantees, is that He will suffer with us. If that's you, I want you to write that down. Now, for those of you who are going through some suffering now, it might be um, you're unemployed, it might be um, that you lost a loved one, it might be Um, great and it might be small I'm going to ask you just if you're going through suffering now maybe you're the only one who'll stand but I want to pray a special prayer for you would you stand I just want to pray for you I just want to pray for you yeah just if you're going through suffering okay I'm just going to pray for you listen I, I know it's so tough. Let's go to Jesus. Let's go to Jesus. Jesus, you see the suffering. You see the pain. All throughout this room, you see loneliness and depression. You see suffering that can't be adequately put in words. You see families that are being broken apart. You see sins that were done, and now they're facing the consequences, and now they're running to you. Jesus, would you, would you promise to walk with them in the fire? Lord, for those who are here and who are struggling with a sin that they just can't be rid of, would you just help them? Those here, Lord, I pray for for the mothers who want so desperately to have children but can't. And then they see these other women who don't even want their kids. And Lord, I pray for those who are desperately trying to work on their marriage but their spouse doesn't seem to care. I pray for those who are here, who the doctor says there's no hope outside of a miracle. Lord, I pray for those who are here, who are struggling with their clean time, and they wonder why they keep on going back to that slop, to that mess, to that sin. Lord, I pray that you would just walk with them in their suffering, remind them that they don't have to go back. Lord, I pray that we would see you in our furnace. In our fiery furnace, I pray, oh God, that we would see it, not our suffering, not as you walking away from us, but as you bonding with us, as you burning away those other things that will just distract us from loving you. Father, I pray a supernatural comfort, a supernatural sense of your presence, a supernatural walk with you, a peace that will go beyond all 
understanding. I pray for every one of these people. Every one of them, Jesus, touch their heart. Be with them in a powerful way. That your spirit would be enough. And that they would turn away from their false idols and experience you like never before. Pray for every one of these people. Be real in their lives, oh God. For I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.